It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. Today we are doing our first video recorded podcast in a very long time. We haven't done one since March, I believe, when we did our live episode on COVID, which is a really interesting episode to look back on. It's actually not available on the podcast player. We just put it up, I think, on Facebook Live and maybe YouTube. And we are talking about all these different perspectives on COVID. And it's really interesting to me because it just shows how ignorant we were back then in terms of making a decision. Anyways, we are experimenting with a new feature in the program that we use to record this podcast. So if you're listening to this and you want to see the video, you can find a link to that in the show notes. Or if you just look in the description of the podcast player, it should be linked there. We'll put uh, it on our YouTube channel. And if you're watching on YouTube, thank you for watching. And we'd love your feedback to see if you want to see us record more often. We're really not sure how the quality is going to come out yet. And we're also trying to do this really casually and represent like what we actually look like when we're recording these episodes. Jason and I both have backgrounds in being on camera. And one thing that has continued to stress us out over many years is like trying to get camera ready. And Jason was like, oh, do we have to get camera ready? And I said, no, (laughs) I want us to feel free. I want this to just be like our podcast that happens to be recorded. And I'm just going to look however I'm going to look. And I wish more people would do that, frankly. And that leads me to a really good starting point for this episode, a subject matter that I think is an interesting thing to explore because uh, Jason doesn't even know that I'm going to bring this up yet. So here we go. We received a review on our... I'm at, By the way, just as a side note, Jason, I'm, it's cool now that I can see your facial expressions because you're so expressive. And I have no idea like how the layout of these videos are going to be, like if they are two separate tracks and we have to edit them together, which I really hope we don't, but whatever. At least like I can see your facial expressions and other people can see how you're reacting to things. Anyway, so... I'm curious to see your physical reaction as I'm reading this out loud for the first time because I don't think you saw this. We received a new review on Apple Podcasts, which is lovely. We are so grateful for when they come in. And I think that this one reminded me that I'm very used to getting positive feedback on uh, through the reviews. So I read this immediately like, oh, this is so great. And it started off really positive. And then it came into some, I don't know if it's constructive criticism or if it was like, if is this feedback or is this like an opinion, right? It feels to me more borderline opinion. So I'll read it out loud. The title is Real Honest But Judgy. I love that the two are so closely connected. I assume <laughs> there's your reaction. There must be a delay because Jason had a delayed reaction to this. I love that the two are so closely connected. I assume the person saying like that you and I, Jason, are closely connected and feel comfortable being vulnerable to the world. Awesome. I read that line. I was like, great. They give great advice and they talk about deep personal issues alongside with health and eating correctly, which I will say I'm not a huge fan of the word correct in terms of eating. So it's always interesting to see how other people phrase them. I don't like the word correct because I don't want people to feel like they're 
there's a version of eating that's incorrect. I think that can be really damaging for our mental health. But I think what they're getting at is that we talk about food and health. Great. Then it switches to some of the feedback slash opinion. However, I do feel that in times I can come off as too judgmental on others, which kind of goes against the way that they preach or salesy. Like one time they talked about how people who start off with the conversation, I'm going to get vulnerable, aren't really being vulnerable, but are instead trying to gain clout. And it's interesting when I read this, you know, I I definitely felt triggered because I don't want to be considered judgy. It's something I I am trying to work on. And then I, I thought about it for a moment and reflected like, am I being judgmental. And and certainly this example they gave, I I could see why this would be perceived as judgmental. And then I tried to find that episode because I remember talking about this, Jason, but I don't recall what episode it was. I don't know if it was with one of our guests. Like I couldn't find it because you and I use the word vulnerable a lot on our show. It's a popular keyword. So I don't know when we recorded that because because the next thought for me was, gosh, like I think This podcast has been an evolution. I remember there was another piece of feedback we received early on with our show, and somebody was dissatisfied because we were talking over each other, like we were cutting each other off. And I think they were specifically talking about me. I think it was one of your like fans, Jason, and they were irritated that they thought I was cutting you off. And I remember being like a little hurt by that and then recognizing, okay, you know what? I can work on this. And so I've been really mindful to do my best not to cut you off. And actually, the way that we record now allows us to listen as Jason is doing right now. He's not jumping in. And and if the listener is curious, it's a little uh, tech reason. We would love actually to jump in more like a natural conversation, but we generally take turns talking because the audio quality sounds better than when we overlap. It kind of gets a little distorted. So... I think that feedback like this is helpful if that's what it was intended for. And I guess my reaction is that I wish more people would be more constructive when they share feedback like this, you know, because are they asking for us to work on being less judgmental? Are they are they giving us the benefit of the doubt? Like versus I get very triggered when somebody says something that's like definitive, like I like Whitney, but she's judgmental and I never expect her to change and she's never going to change. Right. Because as I've talked about in many episodes, like I'm working on changing and I want to change. I don't want to be stuck in who I am. And I I certainly don't want to be perceived as judgmental. But then again, we can't control how other people perceive us. And that's another layer of this. And I thought it was worth discussing because A, I want to acknowledge anybody who leaves us reviews and show our gratitude and also let you know how, how we receive it and be honest about the fact that we'll work on things like this, I believe. And I'm curious, Jason, for you, A, like, how did you respond? Like, how did you feel inside when I read this out loud? And then B, like, how do you feel about being called judgmental or even she she threw in the word salesy but didn't give an example. So I'm not quite sure what they mean by salesy. I suppose like our episodes that have ads in them or we were talking about a sponsor or an affiliate program, certainly we can be salesy, but so can any other podcast. And I just also want to be transparent to the listener that we do this podcast mainly for free and we have a lot of expenses. So if we come across as salesy, it's our way of monetizing the show so we can keep doing it and make it a, a part of our business. And I'm always open to working on being less salesy, but sometimes it's hard to do when you're talking about a product. So that's my response to this, Jason. What's yours? I think, first of all, what I endeavor to do 
is try and be in a place of discernment rather than judgment. And I believe I've mentioned this in a previous episode. And when I say I endeavor, this doesn't mean that I'm an avatar. It doesn't mean that I don't judge people. I do get judgmental sometimes. And to reiterate my philosophy on the difference between discernment and judgment, they're both observations about some sort of external stimuli outside of ourselves, or we can even judge ourselves. It's something we're observing and we are stating an opinion about something. I think the difference though is that a discernment lacks a negative energetic charge, whereas a judgment is imbued with a negative energetic charge. An example would be like, you know, wow, Whitney, that's a really, that's a really interesting shirt, right? That's just that no, that's that's a discernment, right? There's there's not there's no negativity, there's no there's no charge to that. An example of a judgment would be like, ooh, Whitney. <laughs> That's an interesting shirt. Uh, you sure you want to wear that for our first video in a year? I mean, it could be maybe not the best representation of us. The difference, discernment, judgment. So to me, am I a judgmental person? Yes, I am a judgmental person because there are times when I assess myself, another person, a situation, and I do put a negative charge on it. I'm working on it and I'm becoming more aware of it. So I try and observe things from a neutral perspective because I think that our belief systems, our conditioning, our judgments do get in the way of seeing clearly sometimes. So to answer this person's feedback, yes, I am a judgmental person. I don't know a single human being that I've ever met who doesn't allay judgment on another person. I think to be aware of it, to your point, Whitney, to want to change and to work on it and to me be in a place of observing something without a negative charge overlaid on it is something I, I do endeavor to do. But sometimes I'm not there. And to the example they gave specifically of judging, I suppose, content creators or influencers that, what did they say, Whitney? You use my judgment of, of observing people using vulnerability as a sales tactic. Was that what they were alluding to? It seems like they were triggered when we were talking about people saying phrases like, I'm going to get vulnerable with you right now. And how you and I can perceive that as a lack of vulnerability because it's like setting themselves up as a marketing tactic, I suppose. And I almost right. wonder like if with this feedback, is it meant to be like calling us out as being hypocritical? Like, well, you guys are salesy too. So you know what I mean? I don't, I don't know if that's how this was meant, which I, I could see that as a perception too. And to your point, Jason, I think like when we brought up this vulnerability thing, it's it's our personal opinion on it. I, I don't know if it, it is meant to be. Like that, yeah, there's that fine line with with honesty and opinions. It's like sometimes our opinions are judgmental, but like, is there, is that necessarily a wrong thing? Because if we going, you know, this reminds me of something that you brought up earlier, Jason, about how a lot of people in our, our community are struggling with being people pleasers and I'm amongst them. It's that desire to stay in, in the middle ground because I want to please everybody. And sometimes that leads me to not stating my opinions. And then because I'm a people pleaser, when I receive feedback like this, it makes me even less, it makes me even more cautious about sharing my opinions because I'm afraid of being called judgmental. And it reminds me kind of how, of how women can be targeted for coming across as bossy when they're really just trying to be strong leaders, but they're perceived as being bossy as like a negative thing. And so that can cause us to shrink down when we're called bossy. And I wonder like for myself, am I going to start to shrink down because I was called judgmental? I have to really be mindful of that. I think it's also really important to remind ourselves in this moment that 
over the years that we've been doing our individual brands, Whitney, and and putting out content on YouTube and social media, and in the last year that we've been doing this podcast, you and I can, I think, create with the best of intent, with a very clear aim. And I think the aim has always been, if I may, whether it's the content you and I have done on YouTube with food and natural living, organic eating, eco-friendly living, um, now with mental health and emotional wellness with this podcast, I don't want to censor myself. I think part of the journey for me, at least, of addressing my mental health and my emotional wellness is not censoring myself. And I'm willing to risk pissing someone off, triggering them, or getting a negative review if in my heart I feel like I have, in the moments that I speak and present what we present, been as open and real and authentic as I can possibly be. And sometimes that might be judgmental. Sometimes I do get pissed off. Sometimes I do feel like someone's actions or behavior triggers me. Um, I own that. I'm not an avatar. I'm not an ascended master. I'm not free from triggers or pain or trauma. Like I'm, I'm going to be the first to admit people piss me off and trigger me. And so for this, this human being, I, I am grateful for the feedback. And I also want to reiterate, we're not going to be everyone's cup of tea, Whitney. We're just not. Even when you and I come with an intent of we want to create content and works of of art, whether that's our, our books or our programs or whatever it is, that we hope will support people. But as we've talked about in previous episodes, even with the assessments and the reviews we've had in Wellness Warrior Training and some of the courses and offerings, some people don't find value in it. Some people are like, oh, I've heard all this before. This is nothing new. It's just a rehashing of shit I've heard before. So we're not going to please everyone. It's impossible to do so. And I think that for me, on the one hand, I do appreciate the feedback of being perceived as judgmental, and I'm also not going to let it change who I am because I realize there are moments when I will be in judgment. And so it's it's a tricky thing, right? It's This brings up a larger issue, I think, wit of if we want to make changes in our lives, are we making them from our own volition and we're making them because of our own self-reflection of, how do I say this? I feel intrinsically I need to change something in my life, or are we changing something because our partner, our wife, our husband, our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our family is saying, you need to change this, right? It's a very fine line of having change come from within and feeling self-motivated to change and transform and evolve, or doing so under pressure or duress from other people saying, you need to change. It can get complicated. Yes, it can. And I wanted to bring up an article that I looked up when I was reflecting on this feedback because that's part of how I process things is I, I first reflect on how it feels to me and then I kind of look try to look outside of myself and I've talked about how actually in a very recent episode how I was dealing with I guess it was feedback but that that email that felt really intense for me. So if if the listener wants to hear me talk a little bit more in depth about my experiences and how I deal with things like this, you can check that out. We'll link to that episode in the show notes at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And that episode came out, I think, a few weeks ago. So anyways, as part of my process, I went to Google and I, I looked up like, I don't even remember what the keyword was. Actually, I might be able to see right here. Nope. Don't have it. I'm sure I could find it if I wanted to, but it was something like how not to be judgmental or how do I know if I'm being judgmental, something like that. And one of the first things that came up was a wonderful website. And actually, this is somebody I have been wanting to reach out to to invite on the show because I just adore his writing. His name is Leo Balbauta. Balbauta. One thing I'd love to know is how to pronounce his name properly. I'm sure he says it somewhere, but another reason to have him on the show. He has a website called zenhabits.net and his t- 
title of this post is A Simple Method to Avoid Being Judgmental. And the reason why I thought this would be a great resource is because he takes a very like Buddhist standpoint on things, like thus the name Zen. And I feel like he's very balanced and thoughtful in his approach to these things. Plus, he's just a great teacher. So I'm I am excited to read some of this in real time. And I will link to this article in the show notes for anyone else who wants to read it because we're not going to read it word for word. He started off by sharing a few quotes. One was by Walt Whitman that says, be curious, not judgmental. And the second has an, an anonymous source, which is, I'm grateful that I'm not as judgmental as those censorious, self-righteous people around me. <laughs> So it's like saying that we're in a way that actually really ties into this comment, because one thing I thought about when I received that review, I was like, is this person being judgmental for us because they think we're being judgmental? Like we can when we perceive someone as judgmental, we can actually use that as a mirror for our own selves. Right. And I think that's always an interesting practice. Leah starts off the article saying we are all judgmental. I certainly am many times. I think it's human nature. And yet, while it is in our nature to be judgmental, I don't think it's always useful to us. We look down on others as if we are so much better, and that creates division between people. So when I read that line, I stopped to think, when you and I were saying that to us, within our perceptions, when somebody says, I'm about to get vulnerable, that we see that as like, oh, here we go. Like somebody's about to use that to get more views on their videos or whatever their captions likes on their post. That was, I think, our point when we brought that up. I don't know if I was looking down on them. And I don't know if I was saying that I was better than them. I'm just personally saying I don't like that approach because it doesn't feel vulnerable. If it, that was our point. So if I'm reflecting back on on how that triggered someone to think that we were judgmental, It's really helpful to step back and say, okay, I understand that somebody perceived that as judgmental, but was that my intention? No. And I think intention is one of the big keys here. But then sometimes we might not think that we're being judgmental when we are. It's kind of hard to see outside of ourselves. Leo offers a few tips in his article. He uses something called the dual method, which are acronyms. So D stands for don't pass judgment. If you find yourself being judgmental, stop yourself. U stands for understand. Instead of judging someone for what he's done or how he looks, try to understand the person, right? So I actually think that tip is really helpful. So in the example of of me maybe being judgy of somebody saying, I'm about to get judgmental right now, I can actually understand that. I can understand why somebody would say that. Maybe it's because they've heard a lot of people say that and they think that it works. So they're using a tactic that works. And I've done that too. Like as social media content creators, We start to mimic other people, even unintentionally. So there might not be a ton of intention behind saying, I'm about to get vulnerable because we just heard so many other people say it that it becomes like something that we start to say. The other side of it is understanding in terms of maybe it feels comfortable to announce that you're going to get vulnerable, right? Like if you, it's uncomfortable to be vulnerable. So if you preface it to other people, maybe you're hoping that they will be more understanding of you, right? Which is part of this non-judgmental thing. A in the dual method stands for accept. Once you begin to understand, or at least think you understand, try to accept. And I think acceptance is something that we can all work on, right? I mean, again, it's not that I don't accept people if they're saying they're, they're about to get vulnerable. It's just, I'm not a fan of it. That's all. It doesn't mean I don't accept it. It just means I don't enjoy it. And I think there's a difference there. And lastly, 
L in the dual method stands for love. Once you've accepted someone for who he is, try to love him. And I think that's really important too, is like the difference between are you rejecting somebody for what they say or do? And I think that's where I actually get triggered in feedback like this, Jason. It's like when somebody calls me judgmental, I think deep down I'm afraid that they don't love me anymore because they perceive me as judgmental. Interesting. So it's not about the fear of judgment. It's about the fear of love being withdrawn. That's a lot different. And I feel like in some ways at the core, other than maybe fear of death or being proverbially speaking cast out from the tribe, which is a very, I think, hardwired thing in our reptilian brains of being really, really afraid of that castigation or being shunned or being left out in the wilderness to starve. Lack of love is right up there with fear of death. The idea of being unlovable, the idea of not being worthy of love or being embraced by people, it's right up there with fear of death. And for some people, they might fear it more than actual physical death, the idea of being not loved. It is interesting, this idea of of judgment, because I think in some ways, certain judgments, if I examine it for myself, taking personal responsibility for my judgments, there's sometimes a subtle or a not so subtle mechanism in the judgment of wanting to feel better about myself. Not always, but sometimes if I find myself judging someone else, it's because I'm observing a behavior or an action or a way of being, that being repetitive sets of actions, which I perceive as a way of being or a habit that I have a reaction to. And it's interesting to look at the reaction part of it. Interesting. I mean, if we examine this specific situation of this person who gave us this feedback, perceiving us as being judgmental, for having a reaction against a content creator saying, hey guys, I'm about to get vulnerable. What is that reaction in us? You know, what is like the response or reaction in our bodies and our psyches, Whitney? And for me, I think it's it's sort of like akin to the eye roll emoji. You know, that that seems to be my kind of reaction when when this comes up is is almost like, okay. But do I know for sure that this person is trying to manipulate their audience? Do I know for sure that this person is trying to use the ploy of vulnerability as a tactic to sell something? Do I know that for sure? I don't. But I think what it comes down to sometimes, and this is sort of maybe an amorphous thing, is is trusting our gut. You know, you and I have have been on stage speaking to people. We've witnessed a lot of speakers on stage. And a lot of times I find that whether it's a video or watching a lecturer or something like that, the energy that they are emitting doesn't match the words that a person can be saying something or they can be waxing poetic on vulnerability, authenticity, love, leading with an open heart, being of service, etc. But there's something subtle or not so subtle about their energy and the way that they're presenting that that doesn't match the words that they're speaking. And I think for me, that's where I try and leverage discernment rather than judgment, okay? Is paying attention to my reactivity of like, this person's full of shit, or this person's a charlatan, or they're just like, you know, a typical online marketer trying to sell me something. Whereas like, do we sell things? Yeah, we have a couple of courses. You and I have both published books, Whitney. And I think it's an increasing mindfulness I'm trying to have, and I know you are too, to not have a disconnect between the words we're saying and our philosophies and the energy behind those. Because when you feel that disconnect, I feel like it's, you can't deny it. You know, when someone's saying something and you're like, I don't feel like you mean it. Like my gut tells me you don't really mean what you're saying. You feel what I'm saying? Absolutely. And I think that's also a matter of perception though. 
you know, maybe our gut reaction to somebody is telling us that they're not right for us or we don't feel good with them or we don't feel comfortable with them, but other people might love it. I mean, perfect example, you and I were on Clubhouse last night and we felt this way, Jason. We were in this room with hundreds of other people and there was a really well-known podcaster on there speaking and sharing advice. And we had mixed feelings about what this person was saying. And I, I was checking in with myself as I as the feelings were coming up, I'm like, why are these feelings there? First of all, I think it's helpful to notice when the feeling comes up over and over again. And this person has triggered me a lot over the years. I still feel interested in what they're saying and what they're doing because they've been very successful. But then I had to check in with myself. It's like, okay, what is the draw to this person even when I don't fully align with them? Part of me thinks, Maybe I'm trying to grow. Maybe I'm trying to push myself outside of my biases and my feelings and my comfort zone. I think that's beneficial. But then sometimes we really need to listen to ourselves. And I got off of that clubhouse room thinking, like actually feeling a little bad about myself. I don't know if you were feeling that way, Jason, but it triggered me to feel like I wasn't good enough because I was hearing this person list off all their successes and how they're doing all of these things that are working so well for them. And I thought, gosh, I'm doing a lot of the same things as this person, and I'm not getting those results. There must be something that I'm doing that's not right or good enough. I felt the exact same thing, where I stuck around in that room in that discussion because I was I was hoping to gain some actionable tips. You know, hey, if you're at this stage of your brand growth and your creativity, and you're a a content creator, you're an artist, you're an entrepreneur, this is what I would recommend. It doesn't mean it's going to work, okay? You know, like at this stage of the game, this is what I did. These were the things I overcame. This is what I was afraid of. These are the things I implemented. This is where I fell short. But so often, I think some of these type of rooms end up being, well, a not so humble brag fest of like, Oh yeah, and you know, that's when I blew $55 million and that's when I did this and that's when I had, you know, 100 million downloads. It's like if you're quoting those kind of things and you're not offering us who are not at that level of blowing $55 million or having hundreds of millions of downloads, it's not useful to a person like me to hear you say those things unless there's some takeaway or life lesson or actionable step that you can put into the conversation that I feel like, "Oh, that's why you framed it that way." Because if it's not framed in that way, my perception, my feeling in my gut is you're just kind of humble bragging now. You're just like, you know, whipping your dick around, (laughs) you know, it's just. So for me, I came away from that experience feeling like. Is it humble brag or is it that they've lost perspective and don't realize that there are people like us who don't have the same results, don't get the same results as them? Because I don't know if I felt that they were bragging, Jason. I felt like they had lost perspective and lost sight that they're in a completely different stage than some other people like ourselves. That could be a way to interpret it for sure. I just, I, I feel like if I'm going to be in a room with people that are, are on that level of, you know, material, financial, business success, I don't necessarily want to hear them have a tennis match with themselves around, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's interesting because then it brings up this thing of like, oh, well, well, is that my ego just feeling like threatened because I don't feel as successful as them? That might be a part of it, but I also think like if I want to be in a room full of rich, successful people, you know, kind of, you know, patting themselves on the back, so to speak, I think about being at parties like that. 
because I feel like Clubhouse, and as, as an example, Whitney, because you and I have been in rooms that have felt like a party, that felt like this really connected, open-hearted, where everyone is being celebrated equally. Very different energy, very different intention, and very different feeling in that kind of room than, say, the one we were in last night, where it's like, cool, you're like, I don't want to take anyone's success away. That is never anything that I want to feel or like besmirch their success or their their status. But when it's presented the way it was last night of like, yay, rich, successful person, like pumping up this person. And then like hundreds of people in the audience being like, how does this help us? I just didn't feel like it was helpful. You know, it's like, so then why are you in this room? Are you here? Because you genuinely want to be of service because you say you want to be of service. You say that's why you're doing what you're doing. But then why is it just everyone like, you know, diddling each other's bits about how great they are. Like that doesn't interest me. That gets boring very, very quickly. I think like circling back to the people pleaser side of this, because we know that so many people are struggling with this. It's interesting because there is that correlation between trying to constantly improve and trying to adapt yourself all of the time because you're hoping that you'll be validated. And it's like, I kind of perceive that person that was leading this clubhouse group as perhaps needing validation, always wanting to be the best, always want to be acknowledged for their achievements. And I can relate to that. I'm just in a different stage of my life and my career than this person. So we don't need to be at the same level for us to be able to relate to each other's desires for validation and to be seen and to, you know, getting a pat on the back and That's the thing that I'm noticing a lot about Clubhouse, which is really fascinating, actually, if you step back from it. It's this constant desire to be heard, to be seen, to be acknowledged, to be followed, to be praised, to be important. And there's like this this energy on Clubhouse of like everybody wants attention, including myself. You know, like I'll go on there and I'm like, ooh, like how can I, you know, do this or that? How can I get more people to listen to my rooms? And ultimately, I also think that we all feel like there's something that we can add of value, but we've been conditioned to strive for a huge audience in order to feel valuable. It's not that it's enough for us to have knowledge. It feels like our knowledge is not important unless we have a big audience of people telling us that it's important. And Clubhouse is really reflecting that to me as a perception of other people and a perception of myself. And then thinking about the people pleaser that comes out for me, I find myself in rooms like constantly trying to please everybody in there. If I'm running my own room, and for anybody listening who has no idea what Clubhouse is, we did an episode on this that you can reference and uh, just look up Clubhouse app online if you don't want to listen to our episode. It's a new app that's audio only. And it's kind of the big place right now for content creators and, and entrepreneurs to be on experts, that whole thing. I noticed the people pleaser me comes out a lot on Clubhouse. It's like, I want to keep people's attention. So when I'm running a room, meaning like I'm the moderator, I'm the host, my aim is to make everybody feel included and make everyone feel like they're getting value out of it. And I'm like constantly in that mode. And then when I'm participating, speaking, et cetera, in a room, it's like, how can I add value? And how can I let the moderators know that I'm a valuable person? And it's pretty exhausting, to be honest. But that's really how a lot of our work goes, Jason. I mean, being on social media, it's like, how can I create something that gets the most attention? You can know deep down. I also think one other point is like, it's just 
a lot like dating. You know that you're a great person. You know that you would be a good partner. But if you don't feel like that's being represented on your dating profile, then you might feel this constant need to try to change yourself and elevate yourself to get people's attention so that they can see how great you are. And I think that's a lot of what I experience online. It's like, I have a confidence within myself, but where the insecurity often is, is that other people are not going to perceive me that way or I'm not going to be seen. And so the people pleaser comes out. It's like, oh, if I can please this person, they'll acknowledge me and then they'll be able to see that I have something of value to offer them. The thing that I think I get caught in is you said the word pressure. And I think that I've had mixed bag experiences on Clubhouse and social media at large because I think it's a glimpse into social hierarchy. I think it's a glimpse into, as you said, our desire for, we've talked about the four dual basic urges here on the show of people's desire for attention, importance, validation, significance, and trying to avoid being ignored, being feeling unimportant, feeling insignificant. People are at, at you know one time pursuing the one side and trying to avoid the other. And I think social media has magnified these human urges to an incredible degree. What I'm mindful of is not drinking my own Kool-Aid. And here's what I mean by that. I think that people are really motivated by the fact that not just right now in 2021, but I would, I would argue for all of structured human civilization, we have deified certain human beings in positions and made them almost like godlike because of their status. How much gold they had, if they controlled the spice trade, if they built monuments, if they were religious figures. And now it's really about who has the most attention. And we deify those people. So, you know, I notice how people will react when certain entrepreneurs, influencers, New York Times bestselling authors, TV hosts, et cetera, enter a room, whether that's a physical room at a party or now in a room at Clubhouse. And I see how people respond and react. And it very much is this maintaining of a social order and a hierarchy of because you're popular and influential and you get this attention and you have all of these followers, we are going to make you and treat you more important than other people. It just, this is what is happening. We can't deny that it's happening. And what I'm trying to diffuse for myself, Whitney, is not treating those people any different than I would treat anyone else. You know, when I see a person at a physical party or I see someone in a clubhouse room, cool, I acknowledge that so-and-so is in there, but I'm not going to energetically fall to my knees and be like, oh my God, so-and-so is in here. Great. It's not to diminish your accomplishments, your hard work, what you've achieved. Not at all. But it's the deification and putting these people in almost like a godlike status in our society. And you and I have been to seminars, events, conferences, and seen how humans react to certain people. And to me, it's not only fascinating, but I don't think that psychologically it's healthy because what it's doing, it's putting people on a pedestal and putting all of us beneath them. And it's maintaining an energetic social hierarchy that I don't think is psychologically or mentally healthy. I don't. For me, it's not. I don't want to think, I don't need to name people. I don't need to think anyone who has that fame, money, success, influence is a better person than me. But let's be honest, in our society, we act like they are better than us. We absolutely do. And we lavish them with certain advantages in this world that we don't give to other people. We give them a pass for certain behaviors and attitudes and ways of being that if a person were not in their position, we would say, hey, 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 that's not okay. You can't act that way. 
but we give them a pass and we give them privilege because of the status we've not only given them, but we continue to reinforce. And to me, I'm not interested in that anymore. Yep. And it's definitely coming out a lot on Clubhouse. It's people are trying to prove themselves in a lot of different ways. And I I am trying to not fall into that myself. But like I said, it's just an interesting thing because you can get when you're surrounded by other people who are trying to prove themselves, it's hard not to try to prove yourself too. Right? Because it's like right now there's this huge momentum being built on a platform like Clubhouse and I think everybody's just trying to stake their claims and be recognized on there. So much so that there are rooms that are just designed to get you more followers. Even if you don't, you know, and that's the thing, like on the on Clubhouse right now, there's this like idea around like, okay, come on here and everyone's going to follow you in the room. And behind the scenes, I'm like, I'm not following everyone on the room. Like what's purpose does that serve? I don't need everyone here to follow me. I don't want them to follow me if they don't resonate with me. Like it's meaningless. It's absolutely meaningless. And that's been happening on social media for years. This follow for follow mentality that I'm just not about because eventually I'm going to unfollow you. So what does it serve? It's just a temporary vanity metric. And it's interesting too how a lot of the the moderators, I think, feel pressure to introduce someone based on their accolades. I've been noticing that trend too. It's uh, before, you know, the room that you came into today, Jason, before you arrived, there was this one guy who was actually a really great value add. But what felt distracting to me was that they kept trying to prove his value. And I thought, gosh, if you just let this man speak, and if he didn't feel the pressure to prove his own value, I would be a lot more interested. But because it was like, let me tell everybody in this room how great this man is and why. And it was all based on external measurements of his success. And then he started sharing more external measurements of his success, which just felt like fluff because I thought the true measurement for me is your internal measurements, right? It's it's what you have to say and what value you have to offer. That's why I will want to follow you. You know, that's why I want to trust you and and feel connected to you. And I I honestly think it's just it's an old old habit. It's an old old way of thinking, Jason. And. We, you and I have both been in, on the receiving end of this too. You know, like I've been to conferences with you, Jason, where people come up to you because they recognize you from your TV show and that's how they introduce you. It's like Jason, the TV show host, Jason, the book author, Jason, this, Jason, that. And I know that there's so much more to you than those things, but, but you benefit from, from being introduced that way. And I've benefited from being introduced in certain ways too. You know, people want to rattle off my social media numbers and I'm like, that's not who I am. They want to introduce me based on my username, Eco Vegan Gal. And it's part of the reason why I've been trying to transition away from that. I'm like, that's not who I am. I'm not Eco Vegan Gal. Sure, that's been part of my identity, but that's not my full identity. My numbers are not my identity. There's so much more than me. And like, I feel so uncomfortable when somebody says, well, she has a big following. It's like, first of all, a following is so incredibly relative. Like, what, what is big anyways? And second of all, who cares? <laughs> Who, why do we care so much about things like that? You know, but I want to go back to the people pleaser side of things before we end this episode, Jason. And I'm curious, like, what is this whole conversation? How does that add to this idea of people pleasing and how many people are struggling with it? I'm also curious, do you find yourself identifying as a people pleaser at at any time or, or do you not feel the desire to people please? 
I do. I still identify aspects of my behavior as people-pleasing. I do. And I think that it's it's an offshoot of, you know, the deepest wound that I still work on and I'm probably going to work on for my entire life, which is this idea of not enoughness. And I've talked about this in previous episodes, talking about my relationship with my father. We talked about it in our Father's Day episode, which we'll link to again in our website, which is wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And I don't want to rehash that so much, but I think my my observation in people-pleasing comes up usually in a in a work or business context in the sense of, I'm just going to be blunt about it. It's sort of this permutation of, mommy, daddy, look, look what I can do. I'm doing good, right? Look what I can do. I'm good. I'm good. Look at me. I do that. Absolutely. Because it's this deep, deep trauma from decades of my childhood ago that is, if I'm a good boy and mommy and daddy are happy and pleased, I won't be abandoned and I'll be safe. I'll be physically safe if mommy and daddy are happy, okay? So I'm very much aware of where this trauma pattern in people-pleasing comes from. And I have to be super aware of the fact that even despite that compensation mechanism, I will disappoint people sometimes and I will need to handle that disappointment, right? It's like, so when we feel like we've let someone down or we've disappointed someone, or if we talk about boundaries, which is another component of people-pleasing, of, of not only stating but consistently maintaining boundaries, that there's been people in my life that when I've told them no, or the clarification of not right now, we've talked about, I, we might have mentioned this in an episode on relationships, I can't recall, that there's a, a massive distinction between telling someone no, which is a very direct definitive statement versus not right now, which means in this moment, I can't do that. I'm not interested in that. Maybe at a later date. It's very important to be intentional. We talk about conscious languaging all the time, but I guess my point, Whitney, is I'm trying to be a lot more mindful of when I'm defaulting to that old childhood trauma and trying to please everyone and maintain. And it's also about maintaining the peace is this idea that if, if I'm keeping the peace in the room, where mom and dad aren't fighting, then I'll be safe and everyone will be okay. So part of my people-pleasing is being a peacekeeper. But I realize that there are times people are going to be mad at me. People will be disappointed in me. I will lose trust in people. People will lose faith in my abilities. And I, I want to be better at accepting that, that despite my best efforts, those things will happen. And how can I be better at navigating those very difficult emotions of letting someone down, disappointing someone, or inciting someone's anger and someone's pissed at me? I still need to get better at handling those emotions. Absolutely. And it's really relatable. I think the people-pleasing does go back to coping as a child, trauma as a child, all these different experiences about how we believe we need to survive in life, you know, and and our parents are a huge part of our survival or our caretakers, whoever they may be, as are our teachers, you know, like I think so much about those experiences growing up at home and in school and with friends, you know, wanting to keep friendships. So you feel like you need to please them in order to keep them, um, wanting to please your teachers so that you do better in school or that they're nicer to you so that you have a more enjoyable experience at school. Wanting to please your parents, of course, is like so many layers to that. And I recognized in an episode that we did, I don't think it's come out yet, but we recorded recently with Charlene where we talked about like our goals. And I'm recognizing that I've been putting too much of an emphasis and thus kind of a goal of people pleasing in my life when really 
that doesn't serve me because if I'm constantly trying to please other people, then I'm starting to lose sight of who I am and what's really important to me. And sometimes to your point that you made earlier, Jason, we're not going to please somebody, but we're still doing our best work. And despite those best efforts, if we don't please them, does that mean that we need to change all the time? Probably not. Because if constantly changing is draining and it doesn't really get you anywhere, you just end up chasing your tail. You know, and that's really how I felt so much over the years with my work. And I think that's part of what makes it challenging as our careers with social media and podcasting and all these different mediums is that there's so much emphasis on numbers. And if you think about numbers, it it really feels like if I just please enough people, I'll get the numbers I want and thus I'll feel successful or valuable or whatever else. And for me, that process of trying to grow my online following has not really served me because it was so tied into the people pleasing that I started to lose sight of who I am and what I really wanted. And that can lead to burnout, that can lead to confusion, that can lead to depression, can put us in the comparison trap constantly. We're always looking for solutions to get better and better and better. And when I really tune more into what pleases me first, that works better. And then just hoping that it pleases enough people for me to get some of the results that I want. You know what I mean? And learning how to be okay when people are not pleased with me is another big thing that I'm working on. And it's an it's a hard process, but it's been something I think a lot about, you know? And it it's okay. Like it's I think if I were to go back to my younger self, I would just acknowledge that it's okay that I'm not liked by everybody at school. It's okay when I disappoint my parents. It's okay when I get a bad grade and I disappoint my teacher. All of that's okay. (laughs) It really isn't that big of a deal because somebody's dissatisfaction with us is sometimes not really about us. As we're wrapping this episode, I do want to bring up one point that I, I left you a voice memo last night, Whitney, after we left the clubhouse room and What you just said in your last statement reminded me of it because there's this idea of what we ought to do and this idea that if we just do the steps that we think we ought to do, then we'll win, we'll succeed, people will be happy with us. Yay, everyone loves me now. And I think if we're honest about it, we as in many, many, many people on this planet, social media has become a mechanism for us to try and get the love, acknowledgement, and validation we did not get from our parents, our family, or our fellow classmates when we were children. If we're really radically honest about it, I'm not saying everyone, but I think a hell of a lot of people are chasing that emotional security that they never received. And I'll even go on track to say, knowing the, the history of trauma of some of these people that we've been discussing, that I don't think it's appropriate to name them, but knowing some of the intimate details of what they went through in their life in terms of abuse, trauma, neglect, things like that, it's no wonder they're chasing that level of success. It's no wonder because I think, in my opinion, my perception from my own trauma and what has motivated me to do the things I've done has been, if I just get to that level, I'll be lovable. If I just get to that level, I'll be worthy because mom, dad, sister, brother, auntie, grandma, grandpa, classmates didn't give it to me. And I think there are a lot of really successful people with massive unhealed trauma, massive unhealed trauma. And they think that that void, that hole in their their psyche, their heart is going to be filled with it. And they keep chasing and they keep chasing and they keep chasing and keep chasing and keep chasing and keep chasing. 
And that's my observation. I think there are a lot of people that are really, really motivated by that. And social media is a tool for them to try and get those things. But the point I wanted to make with is thinking we ought to do certain things. I think that one of the biggest things right now is, you know, people are positioning themselves as, you know, a growth hacker and a success coach and, you know, 10x your business and 20x your business and mega growth and go from six figures to seven figures to nine to 10. You just keep going, never stop. You know, are you fully committed? Are you all in? And I think the question that I sit with, and I think it's important for people to ask themselves is, Okay, you know it, it. It sounds it sounds really interesting to make a hundred million dollars and have a, a business that makes you know nine ten figures. It does, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds pretty cool. But when I think about, oh well, I, I would have to really have a lot of employees to do a lot of the responsibilities I'm doing as a person, and and sort of you know offload those responsibilities and delegate. Do I want to have a company that has? 50 employees, 100 employees, 200 employees? Do I want to be this global corporation where energy and input and humanity is required to scale to that level? It just is. I mean, to get to that level of financial success or notoriety, to scale, you need human beings and you need... It's almost like what we were discussing with Paul Jarvis in our episode of like, he doesn't want that. He's like, I don't want to manage 50 people, 100 people, 500 people. I don't want that. And honestly, neither do I. That's not something I envision for my life as like, I want this massive corporation where we're making hundreds of millions of dollars. Do I want that level of stress, pressure, management, mindfulness of that many humans? I don't. And so there's this idea of focus on the money, focus on the success. But do you really want to live the life that is required to get there, right? People focus on the end goal. Like, that sounds amazing. But the day in, day out life that's required to get there, do you really want it? And I think that's a super important question to ask. And also, what's wrong with staying small? You know, it's like th- there's this inherent like obsession with growth, obsession with scaling, obsession with more, better, faster all the time. What's wrong with staying small? What's wrong with being a local business or a small artist or having a really small group of people that love what you're creating? Like, I feel like there's there's an endemic part of this conversation too that being small, staying small, being tight and focused and lean is somehow a bad thing. It's almost like that's an intrinsic part of that positioning of why would you stay there? Why would you? You got to grow. You got to scale. What if you don't want to? What if that's really not in your heart? What if you like having a small coffee shop? or a little business on Etsy, or maybe a small one-on-one vocal coaching business. I mean, we could name a a ton of examples, Whitney, but I feel like there's a part of this that certain entrepreneurs almost shame you for wanting to stay in that position. There must be something wrong with you. It must be a block. It must be something, there's something psychologically blocking you from wanting to be bigger. Not necessarily. So as we're wrapping this episode, our encouragement to you, dear listener, as we're doing for ourselves is, Keep asking the questions and keep digging into, I think, what's really motivating us. And yeah, we do have blocks and we do have trauma and we do have subconscious belief systems. And we're all, you know, there's that quote of like, be kind to everyone because they're fighting battles you know nothing about. And I think I want to leave there, Whitney, of like, I'm fighting my own battles. You're fighting your own battles. The listener's fighting their own battles. And we're not perfect and we're not striving for perfection. Sometimes we're going to be judgmental. Sometimes we're going to be pissy. Sometimes we're going to be unkind. And it's okay because if we're trying to observe ourselves and be self-aware and take inventory of this, I don't want to say do better. I don't like that phrasing. We're all on a different path in this evolutionary process. So with that, 
this has been fun, Whitney, to do our first video session, you know? For sure. And I would just add to that quote that you shared. It reminds me of like people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And I think when we're about to share feedback with somebody, maybe taking pause and, and thinking like, do I, am I saying to somebody something that I too can work on? You know, and do what's the point of saying this? I think a lot of people put post reviews of things like to get out their frustrations and they too want to be heard. So it's absolutely okay. Like we get it. We know it's frustrating. We know that you want to be heard. We know that you want your opinion to be acknowledged. But what is the bigger point and ripple effect too? As, as we talked about also in that episode that I referenced, I don't remember what it's called, but you were talking about our friend who had the bad Yelp review and how much it's affected her business. And I know a number of people like that that are like really struggling to recover from bad reviews. So I'm not saying don't write a review. I'm just saying like be very mindful and it doesn't have to be 100% positive. In fact, I-, I felt a little refreshed coming back to this comment that the review that we received, it- it's nice when we don't get five stars because I think sometimes if everything's five stars, people are like think that it's not real and that you're buying or somehow cheating with your reviews, which by the way, we don't do. I think we got an influx of positive reviews when we encourage people through our giveaway, but it wasn't like give us five stars or else. It was like, just leave us a review, whatever you want to say. And we truly mean that, but we also encourage you and not, you know, beyond us, beyond our show. But anytime you leave a review, is this constructive? Is this really helping? And is this true? You know, going back to Byron Katie's work too, is it, is it true? that you and I are judgmental? Or was that just one episode? To your point, Jason, was that just one day? Do we have an off day? Could you say that maybe some episodes we are judgmental versus an overall arching? Or if you would like to see us be less judgmental, just like you would do with a brand, send private feedback. Say, hey, Whitney and Jason, just so you know, I felt like you came a little across a little judgmental in this episode. Would you be open to shifting it? And Chances are we're going to say, yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. And then we can work on improving, which helps us in the long run versus a review, actually. I mean, it does help us, but some people are very hurt either emotionally or business-wise by negative reviews that could have been solved by a private communication. And going back to that quote about throwing stones, it's like, it's also a great opportunity. Next time you write a review, pause and say, is this really about them or is this about me? And am I being hypocritical by saying something that I too haven't worked on? And if you can check yourself and still write something with confidence, then like, you know, that that's legit. But if you hit that point with that question and recognize like, ooh, maybe this isn't actually about their business. Maybe this is a simple thing that I wanted to air out and didn't realize that it's going to have a permanent effect on somebody. That's how I see reviews. You know, I, I actually rarely ever write a bad review. I send private messages to companies first before I ever say something negative about them because I know how it feels to receive it. And I know that it can have a really negative ripple effect when it's said publicly. Yeah. And I think um, receiving this review is also really good training for me, Whitney, because I have historically had a massive trigger around getting unsolicited feedback from people and they don't ask whether I'm open to receiving it. Now, I don't expect an anonymous person. I I don't know if we even know this person personally or not. But historically, I've had massive issues with people sort of 
energetically vomiting feedback or or things on me without asking for it. And so it's 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 an opportunity to receive something like this and work through the emotions that I have of of being angry around receiving feedback I didn't ask for. But that's part of the human experience. We're not we're not always going to have the opt-in from a human of being like, "Hey, I have some feedback for you that I think you ought to consider. Are you open to receiving that right now? I mean, I'm being realistic about, you know, human interactions. We're not always, even from the people we're closest to, even our friends and family and business partners are not always going to be like, hey, are you open to receiving this? Sometimes we just blurt it out. So I think it's whenever we're receiving things like this, it's, again, an opportunity for us to look at our own wounds, our own triggers, our own things that we need to work on. So to the person who left it, thank you. We appreciate you leaving it, and it's given us a lot of food for thought and a lot of subject matter to dive into on this podcast, and I'm, I'm sure for future episodes too. Speaking of episodes, for you, dear listener, if you're still with us, you can go to our show notes at wellevator.com. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. You can click on the podcast section and go to the show notes for this episode and all of our previous episodes. And on our website, you can access all of our free resources. Yes, We do have a couple of paid courses, Wellness Warrior Training and the Consistency Code. We also have a couple of free video trainings and three free eBooks that are free of charge. They cost you nothing but a little bit of time and effort and reading and digesting the information. So whatever your pleasure, you can choose your own adventure at wellevator.com. And if you have any feedback or reviews or criticism or ideas or anything you want, feel free. We would prefer that you send Whitney and I a direct email, which is hello at wellevator.com. And with that, we are back in the video game, Whitney. It's going to be interesting to see how this uh, manifests on our YouTube channel moving forward. And props to Zencaster for kicking off their video program and allowing us to explore video after taking a year off. So this has been cool, Whitney. It's been fun to do a video and see your face and see your reactions too. (laughs) So until next time, thank you for listening. Thanks for getting uncomfortable with us. And we'll be back again with another episode really soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.